Greetings, dear listeners. This week, we invited Robert Nicholson onto the show. Robert is president of the Philos Project, a nonprofit organization that seeks to promote positive Christian engagement in the Middle East. Robert is a Christian Zionist. He has spent years in Israel and the broader Middle East working on interfaith initiatives, and he has a unique and intimate understanding of not just the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, but the broader schisms that shape reality in the region. There was obviously a lot to talk about. Before we get started, a reminder to head on over to wisdomofcrowds.live and consider becoming a paying subscriber if you're not one yet. And don't forget to give us a like and review on your favorite podcast app. With all that out of the way, on to the show. But I've been thinking, Robert, you know, ever since uh, these horrors kicked off um, in Israel and now in Gaza, uh, I've been thinking back to, to our trip, uh, the trip that basically is the, the, the father of this podcast, where uh, you and, uh, and Shadi and I and a couple of our other friends were on a trip uh, to Israel, and we, we traveled in the West Bank. And... Um, I wrote a piece after that uh, that appeared in the American Interest. Uh, we'll link it in the show notes. That you know, I, I I read again the other day, and it it reminded me of a feeling that was there. It didn't quite translate into the piece because I I was really new to the region and 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 all of it. Um, but it was a sense of uh, how complacent the Israelis were back then. Um, there was a sense that, you know, we heard over and over, uh, there's no one to negotiate with, we're waiting for a Sadat moment, and we just heard that, you know, uh, this was sort of a sustainable um, uh, status quo, uh, far from ideal for from everyone we talked about to at the time, uh, depending on where on the political spectrum they were, but but a sense that, um, that this was sustainable. Um, I guess, you know, that's just to kick us off a little bit, that observation. You know, you travel to the region a lot. Um, I, you're, I'm sure you're talking to, to just absolutely tons of people um, on the ground uh, in Israel and, and, uh, uh, and in Gaza and West Bank. Um, just reflect a little bit about, about, about the current moment, about, um, you know, how, how expected was this? Uh, how unexpected was it? What, how cataclysmic is it to just all expectations and people's ability to think about, um, about the future? Well, that's a great question to start with. I'll give you the beginnings of an answer because I don't think I've fully grasped it myself. I think it's true what you say, that there has been a sense of, I won't say complacency, I would say resignation on the part of Israelis, that the situation, although not ideal, is probably not going to change very much anytime soon. Uh, and that maybe the best ideas have to do less with resolving the conflict, solving it, and more about uh, managing it, right? There was a, a great piece um, a couple of years ago by an Israeli thinker, philosopher, Micha Goodman, 
you know, eight steps to shrinking the conflict or something like that. I think it was in the Atlantic. And uh, I think it was a great article and probably one of the best in this weird limbo that we've all been in since Oslo um, in terms of laying out some practical ideas for how to do something as opposed to just sit around and hope this thing figures itself out. I mean, there's a, there's a saying in Hebrew, uh, there's, no, there's no option, there's no choice. And Israelis use it for all kinds of things. But in, in the most common use of the word, it, it's a sense of this is the position that we, are, as Israelis, I'm speaking now through the Israeli voice, uh, are in. Like, it's, this is, I'll give you the, the, the story you guys know. They all hate us. They don't really want the West Bank and Gaza. It's not really about borders. It's not really about how many refugees, this or that, or who gets the Temple Mount. It's, okay, those are issues, but... The real issue is they don't believe, A, that Jews are really Jews, B, that those Jews, even if they were Jews, belong here, and um, C, that they're really not going to fight for this land, and if you push them hard enough, they're eventually just going to go back to Bulgaria or wherever. So we as Israelis, we need to be strong. We need to endure and uh, try to figure things out on the margins. Uh, We don't want to manage the lives of uh, Palestinians um, it's not interesting to us. Um, but and to like, be clear, the, the perspective you just laid out, Robert, that's pretty mainstream. I just want to be clear about that. I think, I think it's pretty mainstream. Of course, you have people. There is still, well, after October 7th, I don't think so much anymore. But there has been still a small peace camp. Uh, you look at surveys. There's still not an insignificant number of people who say, yeah, two-state solution. Let's try to make it happen. And of course, on the other side, you have people who are like, we have to be more than strong. We have to like double down, annex the West Bank, right? Um, we can't afford, even just in geographic terms, to have, you know, Arab, you know, military power on heights overlooking Tel Aviv. So, uh, you know, let's just, you know, do what we have to do. Those are also voices, but I'd say the mainstream voice is probably more or less the one that uh, I referred to. It's very, it is, it's reluctant, it's begrudging, it's a sense of resignation, but what's the alternative? I think that's been the the feeling for many Israelis. And now, you know, after October 7th, um, what, what, how would you say the mood among Israelis has shifted? Um, You know, I, you see reports about this. I'm just curious, your sort of, from your conversation with people, um, you know, I, I understand that that like you know there's a lot of frustration and uh, real disgust with with Bibi personally and this government, but I also understand that extends beyond Bibi in a lot of ways of sort of like an, a feeling of the old guard. But you know you also get sort of inklings I think in the American press that you know after Bibi, uh, you know to the liberal mind a more sensible voice will be elected. I I personally don't find that credible, but I'm curious, you know, how how like how far to the right has uh, has uh, Israeli opinion shifted? You think? And I mean, right is a really weird term here, but you know what I mean. Like, how yeah. has it shifted? I think it's shifted dramatically. Um, I've heard I've heard uh, a range of opinions. I don't. I will say this. I don't. I don't even know how much weight I put on the things that I've heard right now. People in Israel are speaking 
from a sense of um, deep emotion. They're speaking from a sense of, of pain, of shock, not only in the you know atrocities committed by Hamas, but the inability of the IDF to prevent them. Uh, already, we know there was deep political divides in Israel, dissatisfaction with Bibi among a certain group of people. I think those feelings, though buried for the moment, are going to resurface again here soon with a vengeance. Um, but what I have heard is that two-state solution's dead. Like, don't even bring it up. Like, are you kidding me? Like, we gave Gaza back unilaterally. We pulled out. We dragged Jewish settlers out of their homes, handed the keys over to Palestinians. They elected Hamas. Hamas took over, killed a bunch of Fatah guys, and uh, been ruling the West or the Gaza Strip ever since. And look what we got. And now you're telling me that, you know, with an ancient and illegitimate Abu Mazen, Mahmoud Abbas in charge of the West Bank, we're going to create a Palestinian state over there. So what? So it can be taken over by Hamas also. And we can see the artillery positions, you know, sitting in Netanya. There's no way. Like that's. People are, it, it's funny because on one hand, you can imagine, imagine a scenario where, where Israelis come out of this fog and say, like, we got to figure this out. We got to find a way. Like this whole managing the conflict thing, it, it probably was never going to work. Maybe we missed it. Now we see it. Let's come to some sort of arrangement. Um, Palestinians are not going away and they're, they're growing increasingly uh, despondent frustrated. On the other hand, you can imagine people saying, you know, BB told us he would make us safe. He didn't keep us safe. Ben Gvir is going to do the job, right? And I think that's uh, probably the sentiment among some people. Um, but most people I speak to are, 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 on, you know, they are what I said. They're, they're feeling more hawkish. They're feeling like there's less of an option. They're feeling like the Palestinians definitely are never going to accept anything. But they are just also reeling, you know, they're, they're confused and I don't think any, you know, even when I talk to people about it, you know, and I, whenever this happens, I feel really dumb, you know, I'm like, so what do you think's going to happen with BB? And, you know, I'm asking these, they're like, look, those are all good questions. Now is not the time to talk about them. Uh, we're just, we're still trying to find our hostages, you know? So I, I haven't gone too deeply on these things. I'm just giving you kind of the, the gist of what I've heard. So then, just to be more specific about this, if people are increasingly giving up on a two-state solution in Israel, um, what what do the alternatives look like? Because I think this is always where the conversation hits a dead end. The other options are not really, uh, they're not easy to imagine, or if you do imagine them, they're pretty terrifying. So I just don't really, where does this leave us? So the two-state solution is dead, which to be fair, a growing number of Palestinians and supporters of the Palestinian cause have been saying for the past, you know, five, six years, um, growing support for a binational state or what's called a one-state solution. Um, Israelis apparently um, are going to keep on moving in that direction of giving up on a two-state. So, I mean, what does that mean in practice? Again, I know that you haven't pushed people, but based even on conversations you had before October seventh, this seems to be to be a 
problem in the analysis. It is. I will acknowledge that. I don't have great answers to that question. I think there are a couple of options. There are people, nobody, look, there, there is a group of people who say we have to reoccupy Gaza for pragmatic reasons. But the bottom line is no one really wants Gaza. You know, I've seen people out there saying, oh, Israel wants to get Gaza back. Gaza, even like historically, it's not core to Jewish history. You know, it was actually where the, the original Palestinians, the Philistines, right, the, where the name comes from, that's where they were. Ashkelon and in Gaza. I mean, Gaza was a was a Philistine town, so it's not. There's no like real desire to take that back. Two million plus Palestinians, Hamas, Israel will do what it has to do in Gaza because it has to, because it's proximate, close by, dangerous. But Gaza is a little bit different, I think, than the West Bank. There is a group of people who say, I mean, this proves what we've been saying all along: annex the West Bank the best times in the West Bank were when Israel controlled it directly, right? From 67 to, you know, whatever, 93. Uh, you could drive around, you go shop in the stores, Arabs went back and forth. You know, you lived in Ramallah, you could go down to the ocean. If you lived on the ocean, you can go to Ramallah. Israel was in control. Okay, there was no Palestinian autonomy, self-determination, but everybody was more or less happy. This is a group of people. There is another group of people that say, um, now more than ever, we do not want to be, you know, uh, jammed together with Palestinians in one state. Um, and so we need a better quasi state. We need a better Palestinian authority. Mahmoud Abbas is, is, is illegitimate by every poll for many, many years. We need a better leader, need a better system, but it's doable. And, uh, that's, that's the goal. But for that, for that group, the name of the game is separation. The first group wants uh, more fusion um, and, and makes the argument, even economic arguments, political arguments, that it leads to better outcomes. The other group is like, keep us far away from each other and let's uh, work on it that way. There's a third option that's been out there, and it's in some sense a riff on the, the Jordanian option or these other things that have been mentioned. And you've seen the Arab states even leaning into this a bit in the last week or so where, you know, there's some kind of, uh, I don't even know the exact contours of how people are thinking about it, but some kind of condominium of, you know, Saudi, the UAE, different people coming in to Gaza, helping, you know, a trusteeship, almost like a mandate. It reminds me of like a mandate for Gaza. Um, these are options. I don't know how credible they are. I've heard people talk about them. I assume there's some serious conversations happening behind the scenes. There's something about that from an Israeli perspective that's attractive. It's like proper states with somewhat of a you know serious governance being able to come in, you know, Arab to Arab, Muslim to Muslim, and kind of sort things out. Um, but certainly not a democracy, though. I would just like, yeah, we're not talking <laughs> just about wanna, Jeffersonian. Just want to underline uh, that, right? I mean, liberalism. We're, we're, yeah. No. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so people have some fantasies. That's you know okay. Um, I think in a situation like this, we're, we're permitted to dream. I mean, it's, it's so intractable, especially now that I feel like people are reconsidering things that otherwise would have been pretty absurd. I mean, let me just say the shoddy, I mean, fantasies, right? Like after what's likely to be a pretty hideous war, you're not going to have like immediate governance of any sort. And one could easily imagine, maybe not easily, but one could imagine, uh, 
you know, some kind of protectorate funded by 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 these Arab countries that, yeah, just wouldn't be democratic. And that can persist for a very long time. Absolutely. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I, it's not it's not I'm just saying I just want to throw it out there. That I it's, should qualify it's far from what I said. I think it, I think, let me put it this way. I don't think it's something that most Palestinians would be particularly enthused about. Indeed. <laughs> it would well, probably let me ask you, so- Shadi. I mean, what, I mean, I've followed some of your, your writing on this and, um, you know, I know your ear is to the ground as much as anyone's. What, what are you hearing? I mean, what are you hearing from, from Palestinians or from kind of the, the greater Arab world, if we can call it that? <sighs> okay. Well, I want to be careful about how I say this, but actually, whatever. Um, I mean, radicalization. I think that there is unfortunately more sympathy for for Hamas than one might hope or wish. Um, and more sympathy, but maybe it's not so much Hamas as much as Palestinian resistance, the idea that militancy is legitimate. Granted, that's always been a, a pretty mainstream view um, among Arabs in the region, but I think this will only deepen. And there's also been, you know, reporting, including in the Post, uh, where Demir and I both work now, that um, militancy seems to be becoming a more appealing or attractive option, even in the West Bank, among Hamas's opponents. So across the Palestinian spectrum, I think we're seeing a hardening of attitudes. But I'll say even talking to Arab Americans, um, no, not sympathy for Hamas. Among Arab Americans, I think it's, I mean, it's just kind of, um, I don't know how to put it, but uh, definitely I think there's a move towards this has been going on for a while, more so, more kind of openness to a binational state. I think, but maybe this is not just Arabs, but anyone who studies the Palestine, Israeli-Palestinian conflict would just be like, why are we talking about a two-state solution? There's something so naive and almost silly about it. So I think there's a level of despondency among my Arab friends here in the U.S. Um, and a sense that the U.S. is, I think a lot of it's directed towards the U.S. I don't think there's any like particular view I've been seeing that's constructive, but I I do see real despondency towards the Biden administration and what I think is seen, you know, rightly to some extent as very full-throated support of Israel. That's what I have heard a lot here in D.C. and talking to people in different parts of the U.S., and just seeing how Arab Americans have been talking about this um, in social media and so forth, um, a sense of, I mean, I'll even just say for myself, I'm supposed to be writing a book on the case for American dominance. After what I've seen these past couple of weeks with the U.S. response, I don't know, like, do I really want to make the case for American dominance if this is what it looks like? I just don't know how I can be enthusiastic about that. And I'll have to wait and see. This is just in the heat of the moment. But if the U.S.-led order is just so, in my view, transparently hypocritical, and 
you know, completely divorced from the global South and from a lot of the rest of the world who have genuine sympathies, not to Hamas, but to the Palestinian cause. And the fact that um, Biden has been saying things, oh, Siren, hold on. <laughs> well, anyway, people will hear Just that keep in the talking. background. That's fine. Nothing you can do about it. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, look, what, Biden even questioning the toll of the dead in Gaza, saying that we can't trust the numbers. I mean, I think that was really hard, like, to say, oh, basically, wait, are Palestinians even like really dying all that much? That's how I think a lot of folks took it. And just like a level of insensitivity that I think confirms what a lot of us feared that no matter whether or not you have Democrats or Republicans in the U.S. government, there's just a fundamental disregard for not Palestinian life, but also Arab life. There's just people don't like, at basic level, people don't like Arabs and don't like Muslims. Maybe they express it in different ways, but they're just not equal. Their lives don't matter as much. So uh, anyway, that's like a little bit of a rambling all over the place answer. But just to kind of bring it back to Gaza and the West Bank, there was a really interesting poll that I was going over from July, uh, from this past July, the Washington Institute for Near East Policy commissioned it, I believe it was the Palestinian Center for Public Opinion that conducted it on the ground in both Gaza and the West Bank. And there was a ready, really strong majority support for even groups more radical than Hamas. And, you know... People can make, I think there's a way to talk about that. I know that folks will hear me saying that and say, oh, well, this proves that Palestinians are all bad and all support like evil and terrorism. But the support for, there was something um, over 60% support in both the West Bank and Gaza for Islamic Jihad and the lion's den, which actually was higher than support for Hamas, which was hovering around 50%, according to this poll. Now, you also had a majority in this poll saying that they wanted Hamas to give up on the destruction of Israel and accept um, a resolution along the 1967 border. So clearly people are complicated. They can support groups that um, commit terrorism while also still having some idea that there could be a resolution around 1967 borders. Um, but this is just to say something has been building for a long time. And in Gaza and the West Bank, there is, there is considerable support for armed resistance. And I only expect that to deepen based on the initial indicators over the last couple of weeks. You know, I'm curious uh, how you would want to respond to any like any of that, Robert. Uh, I don't mean to be to kind of offer up depressing thoughts too much, but I think we have to really. I don't want to pretend like oh, Palestinians love. I mean, there have been efforts to do Palestinian nonviolence. There are reasons that they failed, and I think that it's worth. I think that Israel disincentivized those and actually punished and penalized. Palestinian voices for many years who were trying to pursue civilian unarmed action, including in the Great Return March of uh, 2018, which was a mass mobilization along the border. But, you know, putting all that aside, we can, the fact of the matter is, there is a lot of support and sympathy for violent resistance. There is, uh, there's no doubt. I mean, I think the last survey I looked at from uh, our friend, Dr. Khalil Shikaki, 
September 13th, uh, did a, they did a survey, Palestinian Center for Policy. And oh, even more research. recent. Okay. Yeah. And they did, I mean, it was, that was West Bank and Gaza, uh, 67%. I mean, this is a, it's kind of a shocking statistic for people who don't follow the trends, but 67% uh, support um, armed violence against Israeli civilians inside Israel. Like, uh, and that's in addition to large levels of support for Hamas and Islamic Jihad and all that. So it's not, I mean, it's not news to me. I think these are numbers we've been seeing go up for a while. It complicates the whole question of, well, is Hamas legitimate or is it not legitimate? I know you guys have talked about that a bit. Um, and what does it mean if they are legitimate? Except, you know, it's, it's that these are complicated questions. I do, I do think though, that you're, you're really getting at something shady that I think about a lot, uh, even before this, which is the ways in which we've all deluded ourselves. Uh, I think Americans in particular in to thinking that our traditions, our history, uh, doesn't matter. Right. Like take that, the, the hospital bombing in Gaza. I was very intrigued by the way people, myself included, immediately lined up. Hmm. Right. That's, that can't be true. Come on. This was my response is like, Israel did not directly bomb a hospital. They probably tried to bomb something nearby, something. I mean, I didn't even, it didn't, it wasn't even like a second thought for me. Um, because I know enough Israelis and I, I have a sense of how the IDF thinks about its job and concerns about optics and, um, other people, exactly the opposite. Right. And, and it wasn't a shock to see that people lined up based on whether, you know, Christians, I think many of them lined up on the side of Israel, not all, but many. Wait, do you, do you mean, sorry, do you mean Palestinian Christians or just Christians? No, no, or... no. American Christian. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, certainly American Muslims immediately, but also Muslims on the ground, Jews lined up on the side of Israel. And, you know, everything came out the way that it did in terms of that particular incident. But I think it was a great case study in, you know, these deeper things, right? So the U.S. presents itself to the world as, you know, the guarantor of, of liberal international order, uh, as if it is truly an honest broker, Right. Has no dog in the in the fight, uh, you know, really here to help you both out. And I think it's really no secret to anyone on the ground that America comes in and, and lands where it lands because of the traditions that led to the founding of America. Right. America was founded by Protestants fleeing what they felt was persecution. They were super heavy on the Bible, on the Hebrew Bible. It's baked into the cake. Um it's why you have not just, you know, the most right-wing evangelicals, but even people not that right-wing and really not evangelical at all in America, large majorities that are just kind of coming out of the womb pro-Israel, right? Do they think about it that much? Can they articulate why they are? Not at all, but it's but just not sort so of understood. much among younger progressives. I mean, if you look at the Democratic sure. Party, um, the kind of 18 to 34 age bracket from what I've from what I've looked back at in recent days— you do see like a very strong shift towards the Palestinians, and we can probably get at that, you know, later if you if we yeah if, if we well want. no I think and I think that but, that's part of a piece. I mean, I think that for for people on the progressive side, where the you know the order of the day is to you know dismantle the establishment as it exists to come up with a better way to erect a better order, 
those things go together. I mean, it would make to me, you know, opposition to the American system as it exists today with its various, you know, I don't know, injustices and, and however it's defined. Um, that goes together with a, a change in the way that America engages Israel. And, and I really, I don't think people can articulate mm. it, but they go it's together. A really good and, it's, point. and on the other side, I think, I think it's why, you know, you find this, these weird bedfellows of ultra progressives who would not be welcomed in Gaza, um, lining up with very conservative American Muslims, um, on the other side of the issue. It's like, there's something very, um, instinctive or instinctual. I don't know what that word is, but that, that, that is actually beneath all of these other things, right? So when you say, I don't know if I could write a book about American dominance, I could imagine that you're looking at this and saying, okay, hypocrisy, um, it's not, it's not equal. America's going to keep coming down on that side of things. And my answer to you would be like, well, I mean, of course it would, you know, it's as if Saudi Arabia was trying to broker between India and Pakistan it wouldn't be shocking that it would come out a little bit stronger on the fate of Pakistan. Yeah, well, that, of its, well I'm know. glad you said that out, right? Because that does present a problem for people like me. And it does present a problem for a lot of Arab Americans and Muslim Americans. But again, like, what I are mean, we going to do with this? Because I, I, I mean, I, mean I, 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 okay, I, I just, I think maybe we, we even save that for later. But I mean, this is, this is to me, though, it's, I, it's the universal values thing. I mean, it's it's always been rhetoric, as far as I'm concerned, and and so none of not like the fact that America is not an honest broker, I, like you're believing I'm not the poetry. Asking America, but I'm not asking America to be an honest broker. Yeah, I think like I'd be fine with just some indication that American officials look well before October seventh paid attention to Palestinians as Palestinians that care that American officials cared about Palestinian politics instead of just seeing Palestine as something connected to Israel, which would always be the primary consideration for the, so, you know, the fact that anyway, there's a lot to, I don't want to get into like, no, I just feel, but, but I think, I think this is an important thing to get into. I mean, honestly, because Look, we can we can spend uh, the rest of this hour trying to untangle the naughtiness of of the uh, Israeli Palestinian issue, but I feel like we've it's all been yeah, said in a lot of ways, and I don't think that's that that takes us anywhere. It's not just that it's all been said between the three of us; it's all been said by by so many experts like so many times, and it's just it's that's not anything worth worth going over. But it's it's um, it's. It's American policy. I mean, I was sort of alluding to that in that in that piece about about. But we uh, thought American. I mean, we thought we, and we, hoped we Kimosabe like. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, th those of us on the left side of the spectrum, or at least as we're universalists, and that's fine. But oh, what I'm oh, getting no, at, no, no, but, but, but it's I'm, not, I'm not even. <laughs> I'm I guess not even I'm getting... universalist, Amir. That's not what's going on here. Yeah, I mean, universal justice of some sort. I Look, just the... want Biden to be able to talk about Palestinians as if they are human beings. I think that's unfair. Instead of saying lives will be lost. What John Kirby and, like, U.S. officials are saying now, oh, this, like, the mask I... has come off. I want a pretense. I want America to pretend that I it think doesn't I... want Palestinians to be killed. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that America is not aligned for the death of Palestinians. That's no, unfair. That's not what and, I'm and, and insensitivity <laughs> here, maybe I think it's it's fair to say that in this time when then again, I, I can't believe I'm about to defend uh, the Biden administration as much as I am, but at a time where 
you can imagine that these people are getting less sleep than than all of us combined um, and are putting out fires. And again, I continue to bring up in all of these discussions that while the tragedy in Gaza right now is the focus, the focus of the, the, the Biden administration is to prevent a far larger catastrophe, which is looming right over right over the border. And and I this is ultimately what I do want to talk about, and I think is something more productive we can talk about here is is the broader catastrophe that's about to happen. And what Robert was alluding to here, that this younger set that's now aligned with Palestinian rights is also aligned with this idea that actually America needs to reform itself so thoroughly because there's something deeply rotten in it. And therefore, uh, there's something deeply rotten in an American brokered order. So get the America get out. Ultimately, implicitly, that group aligns itself certainly wouldn't be so horrified with uh, Iran and its proxies pushing America out of the Middle East. Now, again, that's a question in many ways to you, Shadi, who are, who's conflicted about the American led order now in the Middle East. Like, would that be better? Would that be better? Now, again, you and I have even talked at, no, at it, length would, it, about- would, it wouldn't be better, but I think it's harder for, I think, people who are sort of in between like me to make the argument that U.S. hegemony is on balance a good thing. To, I, how can I say that to any, like to other Arab Americans? How can I say that to people in the Middle East? Like after, like if this continues and if it gets as bloody in Gaza as we suspect, as it very well may be, like, what is the argument I'm going to say to people? How is it defensible for me to say that the U.S.-led order is better for air? I mean, putting aside, I don't even want to get into the whole conversation about how the U.S. has actively and enthusiastically supported Arab autocrats for God knows how many decades. Well, that's and I'm willing to even take. Huh? Well, that's that's my core challenge to you. Maybe maybe you you'd align with the eighteen to thirty five year olds who who think that we actually shouldn't be in the Middle East because we've just no, made such a mess I mean, of it, such a moral mess of it. And this is where I think like I have a big problem with inserting morality in foreign policy and a lot of stuff. I, I think it gets in the way. But I know you and I disagree fundamentally on this. So maybe your argument is that the United States policy is fundamentally rotten. It's now being challenged here on the ground. Um, and the the final outcome of it will, you know, if the the one one way this could all play out is that 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 our our Arab clients, the autocrats, will also be overthrown on the back of this Arab public sentiment that you have uh, also outlined in your in your uh, earlier intervention. I mean, honestly, um, that I mean, that would be a more just outcome. I'm not saying it's necessarily going to be great. That would not be obviously, we wouldn't want like full on violent revolution in these countries. But yes, regimes will come under potentially more pressure from their own people. And I mean, I hope that doesn't get violent. I hope that it can somehow be peaceful, but these regimes are going to fight back. If there are mass protests that get out of hand, they're going to start arresting and killing their own people. I don't want to like, okay, but let me let me put something back to Robert because this shouldn't be like shady. Just like I was about to pull Robert in to rein us in and like tame our bullshit here. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. But look, I, I mean, Robert, what would you? Because one of the reasons we wanted to have you on because I think you're actually you are firmly on what the quote unquote pro Israel side. I think that's fair to say. I think yeah. you're you're very committed to Israel. You're a committed Zionist. Um, not in the kind of like pejorative way that folks sometimes use it, but you know, uh, but in the way that like has a kind of a genuine meaning to it. Um, 
And, but you're also someone who has spent a lot of time with Palestinians, particularly in the West Bank, but also more broadly. And I think you have an intuitive understanding of where many Palestinians come from on these issues and why they feel the way they feel and why they may hate Israel as much as many of them do. Um, and you're also hearing me and we've been friends for, you know, for a while. And, you know, we've had, you know, sometimes, you know, we obviously disagree on some big questions, but I think you've heard me just in the last few minutes express a kind of like frustration that maybe you haven't seen quite to this extent before. Um, I, you must have something to say for people of people like us. Cause I, I do believe in the U S project. I don't want other powers to fill the gap. I don't want a Middle East that is dominated by Iran and the so-called resistance axis. I don't want China and Russia to use this as an opportunity to come in and, and you know, do whatever they might. Um, but so help me out here. Just try to try to walk. You've heard you have a sense of where I'm coming from. Like, what am I supposed to do here? Hmm. Well, <laughs> all easy questions. Or maybe to yeah. start with something more simple. What do you, sure. from what you've seen from your Arab and Muslim friends here in America, including me, at least from afar until we had this conversation, are you, what have you sensed? Are you surprised by the reactions you've seen? I, I assume you've seen some reactions that have been very troubling to you, and we can't pretend that there haven't been folks who have excused or worse um, what Hamas did. I don't think I, we can debate about how big that portion, uh, we're talking about America here, not not folks in the Gaza or the West Bank. Like, But there are, I'm not gonna pretend that there aren't some Arabs um, who I know who have said things to me privately that are just really disheartening and just very sad. Um, and not being able to see that the you know to understand or to grasp that these are Israeli you know these are Israeli civilians who were killed and massacred, and I was talking I was talking to my mom, and she was telling me about a Palestinian friend, and my mom was trying to make the case, and I, I was proud of my mom for you know pushing on this, like what Hamas did is atrocious. Like that has to be like, I don't think that Muslims should be expected to offer up condemnations to prove our loyalty. I'm very critical of that. But in private conversation, I think we should be making the case to folks who have a morally indefensible position and aren't like just just what Hamas did was terrible. Like that shouldn't be so difficult. But this friend of my mom said something which really resonated with me. And I... I I I riffed on this a little bit in a in a, um, a post on my own Substack, which I can include a link to, where she basically said this to my mom. You know, basically, my mom, basically, mom. Well, she didn't call my mom mom. That would be weird. But she's like, to my mom, you know what? I have no I have no pain left to feel for Israelis. So you're telling me to feel sympathy and to understand this was a despicable terrorist act. You know what? I'm not going to do that because I just don't have anything left to give. 
And I'm, I don't have any empathy or pain left to distribute to people who aren't my own. All I care about now is my own people and they are dying and I'm sorry. And like, what do you say to that? Like, what is my mom, like, what am I supposed to say to a Palestinian friend who comes at me with that? I don't know. Anyway, I, this is, sorry, there's so much there. So Robert, I want you to just like, just unspool for us in mm. any way, in every way. Well, first thing, I, I'm, I'm grateful, Shadi, that you acknowledged something very real for me, which is uh, concern, compassion, interest in Palestinians, even not even beyond pa individual Palestinians, like the cause. I'm interested in it, spent a lot of time on it, studying it, talking to leaders of every kind, including um, possibly uh, the founder or one of them of Hamas um, and other people as part of that organization and others trying to understand the thinking. I mean, like I've gone very deep on this. Um, people caricature me as some kind of, you know, flag waver, never, I don't know anything about the situation. I, I not only know a lot about it, I've spent a lot of time on the ground. So thank you for acknowledging that. It's, it's a real, like a genuine interest of mine. And there's nothing I want more than to see uh, a better lives for Palestinians, Palestinian self-determination. I mean, I've written about it a lot. Um, I think, you know, one of the challenges for me is the seeming unwillingness, and I'll speak as frankly as you are, um, on the part of Palestinians, Arabs, Muslims, right? They're concentric circles. They don't always line up to reckon with mistakes that have been made. And I don't even mean October 7th, right? I was kind of surprised by the reaction. Even, you know, we, we, you and I, we've talked about the Abraham Accords and the UAE. One would have thought that some of those leaders, you know, however illegitimate you may think they are, would even for the sake of pretense come out, you know, m more strongly against uh, what was done without equivocating. And, and we didn't see that. Um, I was I was surprised by that. I was surprised by a lot of the individual reactions. Um, and again, to go back to what I said before, interested in how it lined up with people's identities, right? If I was a Muslim in America or somewhere else, I would probably, I would assume, I'd probably line up the same way. And... It, it just makes me ask the question, because I am American, I am a Zionist, why hasn't this and other foibles, I mean, let's not even get, even get into the Syrian civil war, caused a kind of reckoning, a, a, a soul searching within the Arab world, right? Even putting aside the dictators and all of that, I mean, within the intelligentsia, even in the diaspora, to try to, I mean, come up with better models or, you know, why within the religious world, you and you and I, and maybe Demir to some extent, we've all been kind of moving in and out of these circles the last few years of interfaith, multi-faith, you know, Abrahamic alliance and conference after conference. And um, it's, it's, it's not exactly clear that we all share as much as we thought we did. <laughs> you know what I mean? In terms of, I don't know about values. I mean, we can go to values, but even just like common vision for what it means to live together 
in a country or in, 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 in that part of the world, I wonder if there are conversations happening that I don't know about. You know, I think about Muslim religious leaders, people at Al-Azhar and places like, I mean, are they thinking about this? Are they debating this? What does Hamas's action mean for us as Muslims? Should we uh, distance ourselves from them? Are they actually maybe going too far, but pretty much on the right path in terms of liberating Palestine and, you know, moving toward the Khilafah? I don't know. I, you know, if I'm a Muslim, I don't know what I think about this. I don't know if my religion matters, but if it does matter, I feel like that should matter to those of us talking about it. I don't know if this is making sense, but, you know, in the aftermath of decades after decades of basically failed Arab politics, you know, Arab nationalism and, you know, the autocracies that we've seen, I would think that if I'm a Muslim, I'm looking for radical answers. And Iran is offering a path, right? Its proxies are offering a path. And I'm sure for many people, with all of these other alternatives having fallen by the wayside, having failed, th that path looks, uh, looks pretty attractive, right? When you hear people talk from these communities, they're talking in very religious language. And I've heard for years, like, don't, let's not make this conflict religious. But when you hear people talk just in their own social media channels, the things that they're talking about, the vision that they're after, the feelings that they feel when they pursue it, those are, they're, they're religious things. They're the kinds of things that you and I can't grab onto, right? They're not concrete. They're the kinds of things, Shadi, in fact, that you've written about, right? So that, that to me is really what I've been thinking about and reflecting on all these times I've spent talking about, you know, Abrahamic uh, things and, um, you know, Jewish, Muslim, Christian commonalities and trying and asking myself, like, is it all real? Or at the end of the day, are we all just kind of pursuing the things that, you know, these transcendent things that we believe to be true about the world? I, I don't know, but it feels that way in this moment. There's something very, uh, I'm exaggerating. Don't miss, mishear me, but like apocalyptic. very apocalyptic. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Apocalyptic. People yeah. are like really striving for the eschaton here, you know? Um, on that side. And it's like, I wish there was, uh, here's what I wish would happen. So I could speak to my, you know, you're asking, what do I say to my Palestinian friends? What I'd love to say to my Israeli friends is no, 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 no. There's a whole side of the Islamic world or of the Palestinian society. That's like rebutting these things and pushing back against them. And you just don't know about it. You haven't heard about it because you don't speak Arabic or whatever, but I just don't know that that's true. And it makes me wonder like, is this part of a larger, are we kind of looking at this whole thing through a straw? Like it's, it's Gaza, it's Palestinians. It's actually this much bigger thing that's happening. That's appealing to people in Lebanon, in Jordan, in Egypt, in Europe, you know? And if that's yeah, so the Robert, case, what yeah. does that mean? Yeah. So just, a, so if you can, if you can sympathize, if that's the right word with why some Muslims in the region would be radicalized and you can see how alternative options to the US order would be attractive to them. What would you say if you're trying to persuade them, listen, radicalism is not the answer. There has to be another way. How would you make that case to them? Because you you do know this, you do know the sentiment. And unlike a lot of other people, you're even saying that you could very well have a similar position if you were, you know, Muslim Robert. Muslim Robert, that's a that's an interesting uh, alternative personality. Uh, yeah, I can, I I do. I I read enough of this stuff. I've I've read enough uh, 
Sayed Qutub and all of these guys, like I, I can, I can inhabit that that headspace, and I can imagine being extremely frustrated with what I'm seeing in my own government. Um, I do think that a lot of people uh, scapegoat Israel, scapegoat American policy. Right? It's always their fault, our fault. Um, I think not enough agency has been extended, even from this side of the ocean, to the the Muslim world. I think we act as if you know, they're children. We don't really, you know, it's that soft bigotry of low expectations. I'm, I hate that stuff because I've spent enough time. These are, so there's an article that I have in me that I have not yet found the time to write, which is, you know, the title in my mind is like, these are not barbarians. I keep hearing everybody talk about them as barbarians. Okay. What they did was barbaric in, in kind of the common use of the term, but these are smart, sophisticated people. Right? And now you're colleges. talking about Hamas specifically. I'm talking about Hamas clear. specifically, right. Yeah. But even people who are sympathetic, like they're very smart, educated people, PhDs, who will maybe say, look, they went too far. This is, this is, this is disgusting and wrong. But like the gist of it is actually right and even justified. And I think it's because they're operating from a particular worldview, right? So what do I say to them? I say that I, like, there is a way in my mind and I've, I've staked a whole career on this, for Jews, Christians, and Muslims to live together um, uh, without killing each other. Now, I'm a, I'm a minimalist when it comes to all the lovey-dovey stuff, right? For me, peace is just some kind of mutual respect. Like, you know, you do your thing there, I'll do my thing here, we agree to disagree, and, uh, you know, modus Don't vivendi. Don't kill me. We'll make it work. To me, that's the goal we should all be striving for, right? Which involves things as practical as respecting borders when they exist. I'm talking to you, uh, Iran. Um, but how to get there, I think there's something much deeper that needs to take place. And I would love to know from the Arab world or the Muslim world, depending on how we're talking about this, like what are the alternatives? Like is there, is there a place in any of these visions for a state of Israel to exist? Right. And, and not just from the autocrats who are making pragmatic decisions based on their own interests, but like genuinely from the street. Can it happen? Because if it can't happen, I just don't know what choice Israelis and Americans who support Israelis have in a moment like this. Right. Like you're looking at these polls of Palestinians. People don't like um, uh, radicalism or at least some people. Right. There is some kind of desire on the part of Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza, certainly among Christians, but also among Muslims for some kind of normal politics, but then they all uh, distrust and dislike their secular nationalist uh, leader in government, right? So I just don't know that I'm, I see enough for the rest of us to grab onto to even answer the question. I'd love to point to something and be like, that's the thing I like. Can you do more of that? Okay. But okay, can, so Demir, if you're just, ahead. I want to just do one, because this is, this is actually like... I think incredible conversation in just so many ways that I'm just glad we can have it. Um, well, the first, I, I'm curious though. Well, first of all, one could argue that Arabs did try something new and different. The Arab Spring, they did try. There was a movement of democratization. I don't want to get sidetracked and and talk too much about the reasons why it failed. But Robert, you know my position that I put a lot of responsibility on the U.S. and the U.S.-led order for not encouraging democratization and giving a green light to dictators to suppress 
what was like a genuine mass movement where Arabs believed in something and hoped and the optimism. It's so weird to even talk about the optimism that I saw in 2011. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. But I just think it's silly to even bring that up now. Why would Arabs feel hopeful about anything now? Um, so there, there was there was a pretty determined effort. Um, but on the question of like why why don't well-meaning Palestinians support their own relatively more moderate secular nationalist government? Isn't part? Don't we have to go back to some of the specifics to make sense of that? That. The successive Israeli governments undermined Mahmoud Abbas and the Palestinian Authority and did not treat them as a partner for peace. And basically, the Palestinian Authority was left doing something very distasteful to Palestinians. There was no movement towards a two-state solution, yet the PA was acting as Israel's security guarantor in the West Bank. And like that is such a violation, I think, of at least most Palestinians see that as as unforgivable. At some level, if you do too much of that, if you're basically helping Israel arrest and detain people and making incursions into the West Bank, like that's really hard to be legitimate if you're doing that. So in a in a very direct way, like this government was delegitimized when we had like the moderate of moderate, Salam Fayyad, who was doing, I think, pretty impressive things from what, what was it, like 2000, for several years, 2007 mm -hmm. to 2013, something like, like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and he, like that wasn't, an, like there were real efforts, but Palest Palestinians would say there wasn't a partner on the Israeli side. Like, if you don't incentivize nonviolence, if you don't incentivize, like, at some level, Israel has to in incentivize Palestinian nonviolence. But that's also absurd, because why should Israel care? Like, it, at some basic level, Israel sees pa Palestine as an adversary, if not an enemy. So, like, uh, like should I really expect Netanyahu to support civil civilian mass peaceful protests along the Gaza border. Of course, that's kind of crazy, too. He's not going to support that. Anyway, I don't know. Go, I, go ahead, Robert. And then I just want to jump in. Yeah, first well, okay. Context. I love context. Let's, I mean, let me, <laughs> let me channel the uh, Israeli point of view, which is essentially my point of view. Now, you're picking up the story in, in 1993, um, but don't, you, you can't, you cannot forget that from essentially 1917, or we could even say 1948, there was no position among any Palestinians to not only make peace with Israel, but even to acknowledge that such a thing as Israel exists. So, okay, fine. In, in the early 90s, after the Madrid conference, Israel came around. They were like, okay, this whole intifada thing is it's like... This is not sustainable. We have to come. Okay, so we're willing to let Yasser Arafat come back, work out some sort of thing. But I can't imagine at that moment, after having endured, you know, PLO terrorism for decades and like universal Arab rejection, except for Egypt, ever since, you know, World War One, 
that like they were just going to hand the keys over and like, yeah, go ahead, build a Palestinian state. And you know what? While you're at it, make an army. Like, it's just, there's no way that that was ever going to happen. Like, this didn't just emerge out of nowhere. This this came on the heels of many decades of universal Arab rejection of even talking. It's saying the word Israel. So, yeah, there was some transitional process during which time the PA did, does act as Israel's security guarantor the idea and certainly after the you know bush came into office and 9-11 and all of this the idea was that that period was going to end and you know now i'm i'm certainly giving you the the talking points but peace offer after peace offer things were offered a 90 you know you know the numbers 90 plus percent etc cetera, etc cetera, and they were rejected too now from an israeli point of view it's like okay so then what are we doing here and the idea was like let's just maintain from the Palestinian side, the argument, is, as you know, is that not enough was done. Those peace offers weren't genuine. Um, and even if they were, there were all kinds of strings attached. And even then, we were going to be demilitarized. So what are we talking about? Like, this isn't, this isn't actually going anywhere. It's a cul-de-sac. I, you know, you have to pick where you start the history. You have to pick where your, you know, kind of loyalties lie. But I do think context is extremely important. And it explains why there was not a rush to just build this Palestinian state, you know, right after the handshake on the White House lawn. Can I can I just pull us rather than Shadi, you you doing another round on this? Because, you know, I and I've been trying to do this in, in every context when doing this this uh this topic, um, into the bigger picture. Because again, and I I, I feel like even from some readers I've caught in, I've caught flack for for uh, trying to divert away from the Palestinian question to the bigger question here. But I, I remain sort of convinced that while this may have kicked things off, uh, it's kind of like saying World War I is an issue of Serbian rights under Austria-Hungary, and it had absolutely nothing the fuck to do to that, with that, ultimately. Um, and, uh, but, it, but it did have to do, like when that, when that kicked off, it had to do with, uh, you know, the old order just not being able to hold together anymore. I mean, Shadi, you, you make good points about, you know, uh, American attitudes towards the, the Arab Spring. I know, like, not just on this podcast, obviously, so much of your work has been, um, your career has been about that. Um, but, but it strikes me that, that, that um, ultimately, your optimism on a lot of that uh, hangs on this idea of really just like democratic peace theory. Like, you let democracy go everywhere. Um, and then that will sort of solve the issue. Um, I think like American policy and Israeli policy has been at least partly guided by that. That's not true. And in fact, that, that if you, um, you know, if, if the will of the people was in fact channeled accurately, you'd have more wars, um, with the Arab world, uh, against Israel because they don't, uh, they don't see it legitimate on some level. Again, we can argue, about, you know, the details of that. But I guess I want to press both of you on where we were before this last back and forth about the context of this one horrific conflict. And just to sort of think a bit more about, about this, uh, uh, what, yeah, I mean, what may be coming apart, basically, uh, in the region much more broadly. And I, I really do think that's what's at stake here is I, I've, I've always had nothing but contempt for uh, the liberal world order as a concept. I think it's, it's, it's silly. 
it's a silly idea. Um, and I've always looked at things of like America does stuff that's ultimately it judges perhaps wrongly to be good for America, that we're not like out there to like improve the world. And this is where Shadi, you and I really, I think, come apart on a lot of stuff. But I guess what I'm saying is, is, you know, you ask Shadi, like, you know, what do I say to other people? What can we do about it? I, you know, ever since October 7th, it just feels like all sorts of really big things um, that perhaps manifest most acutely in the Palestinian question um, have just gotten rolling. And even your anecdote about your mom's friend, how she's talking, even that's not like an individual who needs to be convinced otherwise. And what can you as another individual do to convince her otherwise, but is more like a manifestation of something really coming undone bigger and that that will just have like bigger political knock-on effects. I mean, what you were saying, Robert, about, about, um, you know, what Iran offers, call it to the region. I'd like to hear a little bit more from what you think about that. And you too, Shadi, basically. Like, as I see it, what Iran offers is armed struggle against an unjust order with all sorts of religious overtones on that. Um, I'm curious, Shadi, to what extent you disagree with that, uh, because I think it's it is what's happening. I again, I, I sort of throw out the whole just thing because I don't. It's not the category I think in. So I don't know. Okay, now well, that's yeah, a lot. Yeah, but let, like, let's talk about a, that a, question a little bit. To you, you said this. All of this is a proxy for something deeper, and it's coming to a head most acutely in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. But it's not really about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I would be interested how you would describe what those deeper things are that are coming to head on the liberal world order. I'll just, I'll just remind our dear listeners and viewers of a quote, um, a quote that I, I especially like from, from Gandhi, uh, a reporter asked him what he thought of Western civilization. And he said, I think it would be a good idea. Yeah. True. I mean, but but again, I I I think uh, here here's here's a a, a a tight way to answer your question. Um, how much do you think the Iranians are doing things because of the Palestinians, and how much do you think that Iran is cynically doesn't matter cynically or at least opportunistically using the Palestinian question uh, for a broader agenda in the region? And again, I mean, you know, it can of be both. More the latter. But uh, not look, more I, the latter. But I think it's important because it's, it's you know, you can approach this as a, a catastrophic human tragedy, and that's fine. Um, but, but like the bigger tragedy that's going to happen may have been kicked off because of this intractable conflict, which, you know, you guys just did a very abbreviated version of going back and forth on the ant- antecedent causes and uh, – uh, despairing over the fact that like we we talk past each other on it, and people on the ground talk past each other, and the injustices on both sides, but ultimately something bigger is happening and i as someone who uh is not from the region has spent next to zero time there that's that 's how i 'm approaching it because it's and and I think the the consequences of the bigger question it, this will not be the war for Palestinian justice. This will be a war, like basically, of pushing America out of the Middle East if it comes. And why? That's, and yeah, okay. Well, that's why I'm frustrated because I don't want this to be 
the hinge point that leads to the decline of American hegemony. That's it for part one, dear listeners. There's a lot more where that came from. If you're not yet a paying subscriber, please head on over to wisdomofcrowds.live and become one. Help support our work. Hope to see you in the bonus. Thank <laughs> you.